0: This is Justin Turpity of Sirius XM NBA Radio, and if you're not listening to me and
1: Eddie Johnson
0: on NBA Today, then you've got to be listening to The Bridge with John
1: Lawson. Shut up and sit down. Listening to the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast bringing you this sports show. Chaos has hit the NBA offseason. We'll talk about all the recent moves and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 73 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast. Which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. Tim Tebow is the gift that keeps on giving for the sports media and is back in the spotlight once more, this time for moving up in the baseball world without necessarily having the numbers to warrant that. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. Timothy Richard Tebow has been a godsend for both sports fans and sports media for the championships and joy he's provided teams and for the content he's provided journalists and broadcasters. The latest chapter of Tebowmania began with his decision to embark on minor league baseball. After signing with the Columbia Fireflies, the Class A affiliate of the New York Mets franchise, Tebow kicked off his career by hitting a home run in his first minor league at-bat. Fans flocked to the ballpark to watch him play, but Tebow's production didn't quite live up to what believers hoped to see. Tebow hit 220 and had an on-base percentage of .648 in 64 games with the Fireflies. And also didn't flash the best of gloves while playing left field. In fact, Tebow's season has been below replacement level, according to stats put together by Baseball Prospectus. But even with those poor numbers the New York Mets and Mets general manager Sandy Alderson still think they can get more bang out of their buck with Tebow, recently promoting him from the low A club to the Mets high A affiliate in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Though the stats don't necessarily warrant the move, the monetary side of things certainly does, as the Mets do get some compensation from the St. Lucie Mets, compared to not receiving any from the Fireflies. However, Alderson said the move was not done for the marketability, rather for Tebow's on-base percentage, isolated power, swing, and exit velocity. I'm no analyst, but it seems like that might be a different way of simply saying that the man will sell some tickets. The clock is certainly ticking much faster for Tebow at 29 years of age. But he continues to have a positive outlook of his career thus far. And if there's any doubt of just how far the reach of the former Mile High Messiah is, is it of any coincidence that his alma mater, the University of Florida, happened to win their first collegiate World Series in school history The same year that Tim Tebow decided to start up his baseball career. Tebow Mania, indeed. I'm John Lund for sports news read like real news. Let's take a quick break to say our prayers. When we come back, we'll talk to an NBA mind about the recent happenings of the offseason thus far and the short and long-term future of the league. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to The Bridge at 929-Bridge-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text into The Bridge. This week, we want to know which NBA team has won the month of June and why. A quick housekeeping note before we move on. The Bridge will be off next week for the 4th of July, and I will be on vacation myself, so catch back up on any shows you might have missed while celebrating the nation's independence. Now, my original plan for this week's show was to do our usual due diligence and chat with the guest about his or her career before hitting on some points and storylines from the NBA draft. But what I didn't expect to happen was to have two of the biggest bombs of the NBA offseason thus far get dropped on Wednesday morning in Phil Jackson getting booted from the Knicks and Chris Paul leaving L.A. for Houston. Thankfully, previous scheduled guest in Brian Geltzeiler was still gracious enough to take some of his incredibly busy time for a couple minutes on the show, and I'm very grateful for his kindness in doing so. Brian is the founder of HoopsCritic.com and also has a show on Sirius XM NBA radio that you can hear on weekends on top of his several appearances on radio and television thrown in between, including this show today. We chatted about what James Dolan's decision to part ways with Phil Jackson means for the Knicks, what Chris Paul's decision to leave LA means for the Clippers and the Houston Rockets, what might happen with Paul George, some anecdotes from him covering the NBA draft and more. You can follow Brian on Twitter, he's at HoopsCritic, and without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Brian Geltzier. He is the founder of hoopscritic.com and also has a show on SiriusXM NBA radio as well. Brian, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you?
0: Good, John. How are
1: you? I shouldn't even ask how you are because there's been so much that's broken before we've even got on here when it comes to the NBA world. It's going to be quite an exciting day for you, and I'm glad you were able to take some time for me just to discuss what's been going on. And we have to start with what's happened with the New York Knicks. They've been a hot topic Since the draft, before the draft, they've been a hot topic really for the past several years, but some bombs dropped today, that being the biggest one, starting with the New York Knicks and owner James Dolan, who must have had a night off from playing with his band JD in the straight shot because he was finally able to decide that maybe it was best to part ways with Phil Jackson. What were your initial thoughts on that move today?
0: Well, I mean... What you're looking at here is obviously this was Phil Jackson created the environment uh, of a power play between him and Carmelo Anthony. And and that happened months ago. And when Chris Epps Porzingis landed squarely in Mello's camp on that, the war was on with him as well, John. And, you know, Phil Jackson waging public war on Porzingis on MSG Network last week and then, you know, commenting that Anthony wants to stay, but we'd just as soon have him leave. And then it comes down with Carmelo, where Carmelo's representatives approach the Knicks and essentially say to them, listen, we are not interested in accepting a trade. If you guys don't want us as a team anymore, we'll talk buyout. And the prospect of eating in excess of $50 million to have Melo not play for them in the next two years was kind of too much for James Dolan the Bear. So he looks at that and says, okay, well, if it's untenable between Jackson and Anthony. In what spot am I eating the least amount of money? And he's eating $24 million with Phil Jackson. So... I think when you look, James Dolan came to a point here, and quite frankly, he came to this conclusion far, far too late, and there's been so much extensive damage done in him waiting to come to this conclusion. I mean, keep in mind, you know, three months ago, he opted into his deal with Phil Jackson when he had an opt-out. He could have been out from under all of this and chose not to get out from under all of it. And and I think that's a very important factor in all this, because you allowed Phil Jackson six days ago to go draft a player based upon his triangle system. That listen, we all knew wasn't going to be here beyond another two years, beyond his tenure. Worse than that, now we're seeing it's not going to be there beyond next week. So, and and you left two guys on the board, Dennis Smith and Malik Monk, who were superior athletes to Frank Neelakina, and and the thought being that hey, you know, in has been a triangle guy. Well, you know, triangle's not not now not going to be there at all next year, and for the next year, it's it was quite obvious. Coming into this offseason free agency, the Knicks were not going to be major players. I mean, the one guy they got a chance to get is to bring Derek Rose back squarely because no one else is willing to pay him uh, the amount of money that he thinks he deserves. So he, you know, he wants the Knicks as a last resort, which is what the Knicks are to free agents at this stage, John—the absolute last resort. So you know, the timing of it is not good. But by the same token. I don't know that it's that long-term damaging to the Knicks because I think really the Knicks in this particular offseason with free agency could only do more damage to their long-term cap situation as they're stuck with contracts like Joaquin Villa. And so I think for the Knicks, it's a good move in the right direction. Unfortunately, you may have squandered a very valuable asset in the number 8 overall pick before you made the move. And, you know, as usual, Jim Dolan, when it comes to running this franchise, is a day late and a dollar short.
1: Right. There's a lot of holes in this boat, and this was only one finger plugging up one of those holes, though it was a big one sort of projecting a little bit, you did mention where the Knicks stand now and I'm guessing that they'll probably move away from the triangle offense. Jeff Hornacek is probably happy about that where he'll have a little bit more run of how the team goes, but now you've got an aging Carmelo Anthony and a young Chris Stapps Porzingis, which didn't necessarily continue to perform up to his expectations last season, which is that sophomore slump that everybody talks about, so that's not necessarily to say he won't develop into a great player, but are the Knicks now still in that sort of rebuilding mode where they're still a couple years away from what Knicks fans hope they'll eventually become into.
0: Oh, you know, they're listen, they're at the beginning of this of, of this this rebuild, you know? They're at the absolute beginning of this rebuild. Um and it's going to take a while. You know, the, you set yourself back last year with the null contract with the Courtney Lee contract. It was, you know, If you were going to get rid of Carmelo Anthony, you probably should have done it a lot sooner and he never wanted to leave, and that contract, of course, is something that certainly holds them back. So it's one of those things where, listen, I mean, for the Knicks fans, this is going to be long, it's going to be painful, and you just got to hope you can get the right executive in there to run the show. Uh, I mean, I know Jeff Warnesick's probably dancing to the jig today because he'll get to do this job unfettered next year. I don't know that he's a long-term coach at the Knicks, but he'll get a chance to prove himself and audition for his next job here this year, something he didn't wasn't allowed to do in his first year. So for Nick fans it's going to be long. It's going to be painful. Um, it's not going to be fun. But you know, this is Phil did not want to let them have a crash landing, and in trying to soften the landing, they had the crash landing. And but now, because of of him trying to you know the quick fix, the quick fix, the quick fix, they're in a situation where it's the organization has never been lower from a perception standpoint, and, and and it's you know not going to bring in free agents, and it's good thing they have all the picks going forward, but I, I the, the way the whole situation exists is it's not a good situation
1: still a very long and winding road but at least knicks fans have this to semi-celebrate if you will today the news also broke that chris paul will be leaving the la clippers to team up with james harden in favor of the houston rockets the clippers will get patrick beverly lou williams sam decker and a first round pick top three protected in return starting with the rockets though with chris paul moving now to team up with james harden how do you think that pairing will end up working out, especially now with the Rockets having to part with some of their successful role players from last year?
0: Oh, I, I don't think... Listen, I think when you look at what the Rockets parted with, what did they part with? I mean, yes, they lost a good, a very good defensive player, in Patrick Beverly. Lou Williams never actually fit in. And when push came to shove, and they should have been using Sam Dekker in the playoffs did Antonio bother to use him, didn't happen. So I will tell you this. I think Harden and Paul are going to have some growing pains. I think there's some major adjustments afoot in Houston in terms of James Harden's ball dominance. I think Chris Paul is going to have to adjust how he plays. He's not going to be, you know, the, the grand poobah with the ball in the sands all the time anymore, and I think he's going to have to be okay with that. But this is what I will promise you, John. There is issues early on, and this isn't working as well as it should. Harden's not going to be the guy that takes the blame, and Paul's not going to be the guy that takes the blame. Mike D'Antoni is. And Mike D'Antoni's got to be careful there, because we can't can't forget that James Harden kind of mailed in a game six in his own building, largely because he was extremely upset with Mike D'Antoni and and how D'Antoni managed the rotation. So I I think for D'Antoni here, he's got a gift, but he also the pressure has been ratcheted up in a massive way. You don't go get Chris all uh-huh. In the Western Conference, and have James Harden on your team, and not be expected to challenge the Warriors. That's the bottom line. And if they're not going to be able to hold up well against the Warriors, I don't know what's going to happen with Mike D'Antoni. Because here's the thing: listen, the Warriors have a lot of length on the perimeter. The Rockets do not. And granted, they keep Ariza there, and Ariza is going to be counted on to do a lot more defensively in the absence of Beverly. Obviously, Chris Paul is as well. They were able to keep Ryan Anderson in this deal, which certainly helps. But you do wonder again, very you know, a lot of star power, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch but you're gonna to have to explain to me how your biggest problem was defense with this team and how did this trade help you stop people more i don't think it did and and so for me with the rockets yes if your game plan is you think you can outscore the warriors i don't think anybody ever outscores the warriors but go for it and this is a way to to, to set it that course but I, I and again it's a deal that you have to make if it's there for you to make but i would also say this if I'm the Rockets, I wouldn't be done. I'd be looking to try to see what I could do to upgrade Anderson at that spot. And I tell you, I know there's been a lot of talk about them and Paul Millsap, but I think if they're able to find a way to get Serge Ibaka in tow with Harden and Chris Paul and Ariza and Capella, I think you, you know then maybe you'd have a chance to go toe-to-toe with the Warriors. But if this is Houston's last move, and, and listen, it'll work well against a lot of teams. Will it work well against the Warriors? We don't know. And more than that, it's probably not good enough to catch the Warriors.
1: And unfortunately, we know what happens to Mike D'Antoni if his players don't necessarily like what he's doing with the team. All he has to do is remember what unfortunately happened to him with the Los Angeles Lakers. Moving to the other side of LA with the Clippers, there's a couple different ways we could look at this. One being that Chris Paul probably wouldn't have left L.A. if next year was going to bear, say, LeBron James or a big name like that. Whether or not he might have knew that was going to happen, that doesn't necessarily bear well for the Clippers... But what you could look at as a positive now for Jerry West, who's had quite the busy week now in his new role with L.A., is that he might be opening up the airwaves for 2018 to get some big names to come in as far as their cap room is concerned, and maybe he'll be able to keep Blake Griffin around to sort of build things around him. What do you think the short-term and long-term is going to look like now for the Clippers now that Chris Paul's gone?
0: Well, I, I I think that, and this is interesting, I think Paul being out of there may make it more attractive for Blake Griffin to stay. You know, that's, that's the thing. I, I don't think it's going to be less attractive now. The reality is, is that Chris Paul ruled that team with an iron fist, and the amount of clout he had with the Coach, the amount of clout he had in the front office, and how he tried to flex his muscles in that locker room was not necessarily well regarded by Blake Griffin. So I, I think that was a larger issue there. So, you know, from that standpoint, uh, he could be more likely to stay there. And if he is, listen, they're going to still try to be in the business of bringing in stars there. I just wonder, he's going to go pay all that money, $200 million for five years, to a guy that can't stay healthy. So it, the larger question for the Clippers is, yeah, Griffin probably is more likely to say, "Do they want Griffin? Do they want to be a you know be able to shop the city of L.A. to free agents without having a star on board?" All very good questions. It's the Clippers have gone into a transition here. Were they smart in getting assets? They were very smart in getting assets. Listen, Lou Williams on the last year of a deal, but Beverly's on a value contract. Should be able to bring in something for him. Sam Decker's an interesting young player. Um, who coincidentally his best position on the floor is stretch four, and we know that Blake Griffin's the four on that team. So it's going to be, be you curious to see how that all works, but. But I also will say this, the Clippers aren't done this offseason. And I think if Griffin's going to turn the page and leave, look for the Andre Jordan trade for a future type of package with assets and picks. And they'll go, you know, they'll kind of go into a rebuild here, which I don't think Steve Ballmer had in mind. But by the same token, if you're not going to keep Chris Paul, it's better to get something for him than nothing. They were able to get something. And uh, you, give, you give the Clippers organization credit for salvaging something under a tough set of circumstances, but I think that, you know, all of a sudden the pendulum, which had been in the Clippers' favor in L.A. is very, very clearly shifting back towards the Lakers.
1: And that could happen as early as next year if the Lakers end up playing the cards right that they want to, but at least Clippers fans might be able to take an easier breath having Jerry West behind the cobwebs and things that they now have to clear with the Clippers because of the success he's had in the past. Another big name, probably the biggest name that's still available and still getting thrown around is Paul George with rumors of him going to play with LeBron in Cleveland to him going to the Celtics, to possibly teaming up with John Wall and the Wizards, do most signs at least agree that he likely won't be with the Pacers uniform next year, whether or not we know what team it will be?
0: No, he's he's getting dealt, and and the reality of the situation is pretty simple. Um, Indiana's not going to do anything until they know what Boston's best offer is, and Boston's not going to make their best offer until they know what happens with Gordon Hayward. So that's the bottom line. And I think Boston, if they are able to get their hands on Gordon Hayward, I think Boston is very likely to be willing to overpay for Paul George, so I think the Pacers are going to wait this thing out with the understanding that the offers they have for George are going to be there in the second week of July, and they want to see how aggressive the Celtics are going to be, and because the Celtics' order of operations and how they handle their offseason is extremely important. In other words, if they make a trade for George, they're not going to have a max salary slot to offer to Gordon Hayward. If they make, if they sign Hayward to a match deal, through the CBA rules and how trades go, is they can still bring George on board after the fact because he's currently on the contract. So it, it makes sense for them to wait and see, and this is one of the situations for Boston where having all the assets that they do Makes a team like Indiana, if they want to be smart about maximizing return for Paul George, which they do, has to wait for him. So you know Boston is just still sitting in the pole position here. Their goal is Hayward and George. I think they can accomplish it. And I think mean, if you ask me right now, where is Paul George likely to be next season? I would tell you Boston. One thing I do know about the Celtics, they are not scared off by Paul George saying that the Lakers are his preference. They believe they can make Paul George a nice enough nest with a winning situation. He's not going to want to go anywhere. And from what I understand, George's representatives, I said, hey, you. He does want to be in LA. But if he came there, he certainly would be open to staying depending upon the circumstances. And I think that's one of the reasons that Boston, you know, is pushing so hard for Paul George because if they can get Hayward and show him Gordon Hayward and add it to the team with Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford that they had last year, which is one of the reasons they didn't take Markel Fultz because they're committing to Isaiah Thomas as their point guard of the future. But if they can show Paul George that kind of roster and and with the ability to go get Cleveland and and potentially beat Cleveland and go to an NBA final, they think that's all they're going to need to do to keep Paul. George. And I actually agree with him. I so I, I think right now Paul George's Boston's to lose.
1: I wanted to switch gears a little bit and bring in a couple more teams and talk about the NBA draft. I know you got to cover that with Tina Servazio for the NBA radio on Sirius XM. Just wanted to preface this for all the listeners as well, that when it comes to all of this, that whatever you might say coming forward doesn't necessarily mean you hate that person's team or have a bias against them, as you remind people on Twitter. So just wanted to let people know that you don't hate who you're going to be talking about. Let me start with the Lakers. Since they're my favorite team and I'm hopeful for the next couple of years, they did end up going with our assumptions, picking ball with the number two pick, also shipping their number two pick from two years back in D'Angelo Russell to the Nets for Brooke Lopez, which happens to free up some much needed cap space as well for potential moves in 2018. Do you like the direction that Magic Johnson and the Lakers have been steering the ship in so far, especially based on what they did in the draft?
0: Absolutely. I decided Lonzo Ball was the right pick for them. I know this about D'Angelo Russell. I know there's been some criticism of Magic that he did get more value for D'Angelo Russell. The reality of this is that there was no one. When he went to talk to the Lakers, uh, and when he went up to the Pacers about Paul George and found out that the, that the Pacers had no interest in D'Angelo Russell, it, it kind of made Magic do a little bit of a double-take here and figure, hey, you know what, I thought this guy was going to value in the open market. He doesn't. If I'm not going to be able to get a major asset with him as the lead piece, then the only other thing I really can do is take one of my bad contracts and make me more of a player in next year's free agency. And move them. And that's what they did. And I thought the Nets made a good deal in that situation as well. I think that Russell's a worthwhile risk. Um, And I thought that, you know, listen, the Lakers salvaged something for a guy that was a depreciating asset. And And his reputation really preceded him from that standpoint. So I I think that I like what's happening with L.A. I like the job that Magic is doing. Uh, I like the plan. It'd be interesting to see what they do with Luel Deng if they can find a taker for him at one point or another. He was going to be the easier one to get rid of a Dang and Mozgov. Mozgov was going to be the toughest one to get rid of, and he was able to do that using a guy that, quite frankly, he had no use for. DeAndre Russell's at a crossroads in his career at the age of 21. He's in a situation where no one wants to be around him. No one wants to play with him. He alienates everybody. He alienated everybody in that locker room. Fresh start here in Brooklyn. Let's see how that works out for him, but there was no doubt that the reputation that Russell has built up and the toxic personality he's been on and off the floor is something that many, many teams wanted nothing to do with, and I thought Magic Johnson did a nice job of salvaging some value for that and getting rid of a contract that, you know, it should have never been signed in the first place.
1: The Sixers traded up to get ahead of L.A. They took who they wanted with the first pick in the draft. The trust the process mantra continues to be screamed out by Sixers fans. Were you happy with what the Sixers did in the draft and in progressing the team to start making this youth that has been building for the past several years start amount to something here in the next couple? Uh,
0: I, I Listen, I think the Sixers made an excellent trade. Let's start with that. Because I think you, when you look at what they did with that deal, that deal was... It, it, they had seemed like he had gone on too long, John. Okay. Which was, you know, in with roster with um, with uh, asset accumulation, as opposed to roster building. And this is a move where there's no way you could say that they came anywhere close to maximizing the value of that Laker pick. They didn't. It's unequivocal they didn't maximize the value, except for one thing: they went and got the player in this draft that more than anything else was going to be the guy that fit their team the best. If you're committed to playing Ben Simmons at point guard, and they are committed to playing Ben Simmons at point guard, if that is your commitment and that is what you want to do, well, fine, go ahead and do it. But the thing is about playing Simmons at point guard is you, better have the right wing next to him to be able to take some pressure off him on both ends of the floor. There was no player in this draft better than Markel Fultz. And although Fultz was rated quite similarly to three other guys by most teams in terms of draft grades, when you know Alonzo Ball and Fultz were rated similarly, Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, the fit that full had of being able to play on the ball and off the ball and his size on the wing and his ability to hope, potentially, hopefully, be able to guard point guards, all of those things combined were a major, major uh, plus for the Sixers. So, I, you know, Brian Colangelo did, definitely got cents on the dollar for that Laker pick, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter a little bit, John. It's, I, I thought it was a very, very smart maneuver that he made in terms of making that deal, and I think it's going to help the Sixers move this program along. Um for the Sixers, listen, you're never gonna be able to be in a situation that they that Sam Hankey put them in and maximize all of your value. And don't get me wrong, I'm not bagging on Hankey because I think Hankey did a really, really nice job with this team. There's no doubt about the the assets that he left them with was terrific. But there, there was a lot of things that he did that really, you know, left a, a major negative impression, major culture issues with all the losing and And the fact that there's been a lot to rebuild there uh, under this new regime. And I think that they've done, that they're doing a tremendous job right now And Brian Colangelo and Brett Brown of rebuilding what needs to be rebuilt. So, yeah, color me impressed with that deal. I thought they did a nice job.
1: Boston went with Jason Tatum at number three and we talked about the Celtics trying to bring in Paul George but there was also some frustration after the draft with Danny Ainge sticking to his guns seemingly hoarding these picks that he's been building for the past several years at least for now were you getting an idea that we might get to the point where it's time for him to sort of put up or shut up when it comes to all the things that he's built and the Celtics need to do something now or should he continue to stick to his plan sort of Hold on to those things and see where they go from there. Well, I,
0: I think here's the thing: the assets depreciate in value over time. I mean, this is not; these are not going to hold value forever. And I think Danny's done some things here in terms of waiting too far and too long that have hurt them. I mean, I really, you know, they're going to have to if if they're going to go after Gordon Hayward, they're going to have to renounce Kelly Olynyk and be an unrestricted free agent. And and let's be honest, Kelly Olynyk has too much good going for him. As a player, I mean, look—he had 27 points in that game set against Washington. You know, he's a big that can step out and shoot. He plays with some scrap. You shouldn't be getting nothing for Kelly Olenek. I'm sorry, but that's the he held assets too long. You know, he's on the risk of doing the same thing with Marcus Smart, who's far too valuable, who's eligible for an extension. So there's, there's—he's done. He's held stuff too long. With that said, for right now. It's not going to matter a week at this point. You know, you, you wait and see if you can, if you're the one that can pony up what you have to pony up for George. And one thing that's a little alarming to me that I heard come out of the Celtics organization last week, is owner with Graspick, and we've heard this from him before, which is essentially Graspick complaining that, you know, we need, a, you know, that, that essentially we're, you know, teams are trying to rip us off too much. Well, listen, you know, you, you got in this spot with all these assets and you have not been all that quick to use them. So I think you have to go look sometimes in other directions in terms to see what else is available and, and maybe take, you know, do a deal at 75 cents for the dollar. Bill Simmons, like to use the expression, the two dimes for a quarter deal. It furthers your program, makes your team better. You've got to do that sometimes. He has been very, very hesitant to do that, and, and I think that's hurt them. But I do think that he understands that the time is now, and he's going to have to give a value at one point or another, and I would look to that, for that to happen over the course of the next two
1: weeks. The last thing from the draft, from you being able to cover it, is there something that sticks out from you, whether that's a pick, whether that's from a player that you were able to interview that you remember from that day?
0: Two things. Number one, I think Josh Jackson was the best pick in the draft. Four, I think he's the best player in the draft, and I think the Suns got to a potential, sub potential superstar. And I was impressed with him personally. I, I think, and I think again, he is the best player in this draft, and I think that the Suns are going to really be able to benefit from that. Um, and then the other thing was, you know what, Jonathan Isaac was the most impressive kid I talked to, and and in a, in a group of very media savvy, impressive kids, Jonathan Isaac stood out just because of a, a, there is a, a authenticity to him. Um, he's Worked very hard to get to this point. He's a very smart kid. He understands where his limitations lie, and he understands what's going to be required of the NBA game in a very unique way. So I was incredibly impressed with what I saw out of Isaac. And so yeah, those two guys pretty much. And the other thing was this, and I was personally taken with Alonzo Ball. Alonzo Ball's a great kid and a lot of fun to talk to, and and definitely a, a lot of warmth of Alonzo, who was having a good time and a good night, but would, the, who you see in the Foot Locker commercial is the well-humored kid that he
1: is in person. More 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 excitement is definitely going to come that will keep you busy for the next several weeks when it comes to the NBA. If you had to make a prediction of sorts for what's going to happen moving forward, at least in the short term, when it comes to the bigger name players. Is this year a sense of some of those bigger name players going to these teams to sort of put together a one and done type mentality, whether players go to join LeBron, whether we see somebody like Chris Paul join James Harden, players trying to take down Golden State in this one particular season, players like Paul George who might do that before 2018 comes when there might be more long-term contracts, or will it be a little bit of a balance of both?
0: Uh, No, listen, I think teams are going to try to, you know, players are making more and more, making the personnel decisions. They're trying to align, and with the way Golden State is aligned, they're going after Golden State. So, yeah, I think you're going to see players do more and more of this. And the Chris Paul deal today with Harden was, you know, more of that, players deciding this is what we're going to do, this is where we're going to go, and leaving it to executives to carry out. So I don't think that pattern is stopping anytime soon. I think we're going to see a lot more of that here going forward in terms of of, of players directing these personnel decisions and trying to build these super teams. Golden State has raised the bar, and we're well on our way to a league where we're going to have a bunch of haves and a whole bunch of have-nots, and you don't want to get caught in the
1: middle. The last thing for all of this, is there uh, another player or maybe a team that you think will be making a move in the next upcoming days? Uh, I'd be
0: very, in the coming I mean, day, I don't know about that. I'd be very surprised if we're at this point next week and Gordon Hayward hasn't signed a contract with the Boston Celtics. That's the one thing I'll tell you. That's been something that's been in the works for over a year. He had asked to be traded there last year, although you know a, a lot of the jazz faithful media members wanted to deny that and make like it was, it was fiction. It was never fiction. He had asked. He had tried to push his way. They were able to bring George Hill in to try to appease him, but in the end, Gordon Hayward wants to be in Boston with Brad Stevens. I'll be shocked. If We don't see that's
1: where he ends up next week. The last thing to get you out of here, have you taken any interest in the first installment of the big three? Were you watching what they were able to do at the Barclays center over the weekend?
0: little bit, not a ton. I mean, it's listen, I'm interested in it. Don't get me wrong. We just have so much going on NBA-wise right now that it's just not something I've had a lot of time to to pour some attention into. I think it's going to be fun. I think the one thing that you saw first weekend that you got to watch is is the volume of injuries for these guys. These are not young guys out there. So, you know, sort 37-year-old Corey McGetty hurt a knee. Jason Williams in his 40s, he hurt himself significantly. And I think that's going to be the one thing that could hold the big three league back is keeping these guys healthy. If you can't keep them healthy, I think it's it's a, a great idea with a lot of fun. The International Olympic Committee put three on three basketball in the Olympics, has certainly given this some legs as well. And it wouldn't surprise me if the NBA tries to go into some kind of deal with, uh, with Ice Cube and, and its Big Three League there, because I think for the NBA, if this has some mass appeal, um, this is something they want to be a part of.
1: Where can people find what you'll be breaking and what else you'll be up to in the next couple weeks? I'm sure they'll want to hear you or see you or wherever you might be. Do you have an idea, aside from your Twitter account, where you might be floating to in the next couple weeks?
0: I'm I'm always on the SiriusXM NBA radio, Saturday and Sunday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, I will be doing a free agency special. Uh, this Friday night on Sirius XM, NBA Radio's channel, uh, 207 on Sirius Radios, uh, 86 on XM Radios. Rick Mahorn and I are hosting from 7 p.m. Eastern to 9 p.m. Eastern, a free agency preview this Friday night, uh, June 30th. Um, you'll And you can see me uh, sporadically on NBA TV uh, and on 120 Sports on the, their app and 120sports.com. I'll be on sporadically as well. And, of course, a lot of the guest radio stuff I do, you'll be able to find at hoopscritic.com.
1: You didn't want to team up with Justin Termini this Friday night, huh? Uh, Well,
0: he's actually, no, we're separate this Friday because after I go, then he and Evan Cohen are doing their own midnight type of show uh, later on that night. So now Termini and I are are separate parts uh, of that team. But, you know, we'll be out in Vegas together in, uh, in a couple weeks for Summer League, and you'll get Termini and I will hook up together then.
1: Well, keep him in line because we know what he might like to get into while he's in Vegas, even though it's a work trip. Just make sure you keep his toe in line, all right? You got it, bud. All right, Brian. Thanks so much for coming on. It was great getting your insight on all the kerfuffle that's happened in the past couple of days, especially today in particular with the NBA. As we mentioned before getting on here, there's a ton to talk about about what you do on the side, what you do when stuff like this isn't breaking. So we'll have to do that down the road. But thanks so much for your insight. Continued success in what you're doing. And don't get too busy in the next couple of days. I know you'd be a hot commodity to get on some shows as well.
0: You got it, Sean. Thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate it. Take care.
1: We'll close out the show with America's fastest growing sports segment. Good try. Good effort. Good, job, good, job. good effort. Good effort. Good job. Here we'll briefly mention some of the instances from throughout the week when a team or a player or a coach meant well but didn't quite meet those expectations. And there's so much to dive into for this week and I love it. First up, Good try, good effort. WFAN. Good, job, good, job. good effort. Good effort. Good job. The flagship station for sports talk in New York celebrated its 30-year anniversary last week and thought it would be a good idea to gather all of its personalities and celebrate at Grand Central Station perhaps forgetting that some of the bigger names at the station strongly dislike each other to say the least. The morning show of Boomer and Carton has been poking fun at the sports Pope in Mike Francesa for years now, with Carton serving as the more vocal of the duo in taking jabs. Neil Best of Newsday reported on Carton's comments of Francesa's legacy shortly after Boomer and Carton's morning show ended. With Craig saying, quote, I think he's ruining his legacy. I think that when you take stock of a 30-year career that's had, like any other career, amazing highs and some really bad lows, I think what people are going to remember, good or bad, is how you went out. He went on to say that Francesa has done great damage to the legacy. There's aspects of what he does that have become kind of a caricature of himself and that he's not, I don't think, what he once was 15, 20 years ago as the foremost authority on a lot of sports. Carton's comments can basically be summed up as after all the accolades and fame and fortune that Francesa has built over the past several decades, why would he want to go out quite like this? Francesa then responded before his show that day saying, quote, my show is every bit as good as it's ever been. They dwell on any possible mistake I make because they're jealous and every part of their thing is just so possessed by everything I do. He continued, I have no interest in them. So when they make mistakes and they make plenty, I would have no interest in even citing it because I have no interest in their show. My show is as good as it's ever been. That's no question. My legacy is great, and that's why they've always been behind me in every possible part of this business, whether it's awards, polls, people's perceptions. They've always been behind me, and they'll always be behind me, and that's their problem, not mine. Boomer Esiason then weighed in on Friday's show and sided with Francesa, not his co-host, saying the comments were problematic, petty, and small, end quote. Jesus. It was also later reported by Phil Mushnick that Francesa had a heated argument a couple of days later with WFAN boss Mark Chernoff, whom Francesca apparently blamed for losing a head-to-head ratings period to Michael K's ESPN New York radio show. Chernoff also reportedly shouted back at Francesa. And though Mike is taking one of his several summer vacations, he did issue a response to his producer, Brian Monzo, saying, quote, I rarely comment about that individual's absurd and nasty ramblings, but this time I have been asked to make an exception. I have never had an argument with Mark Chernoff concerning ratings. Ever. Never. We're 10 weeks into the spring book. It ends in two weeks and are comfortably in front of ESPN and have been the entire spring. The other wild lies and crazy accusations were already dispelled. All very sad. Enjoy the summer. Mike Francesa. Mike's last day at the fan is slated for December 15th. And rest assured, we'll be in for more fireworks until then. Next up, good try, good effort, Stephen A. Smith. Good job, good job, good effort, good effort, good job. While ripping Phil Jackson and the New York Knicks on first take, Stephen A. Smith backed up his rants with an example of one of Phil Jackson's first transactions as Knicks president and didn't hold back in that rant. His very first move as the executive was to sign Lamar Odom. Who was on crack? <laughs> wait, I mean, look, wait, who, no, I, Phil don't, or I Lamar? don't mean to Phil Lamar. Lamar.
0: I don't mean <laughs> to An be listen. I love Lamar Odom the person, and God bless him. We're wishing nothing but the best. But metaphorically
1: speaking,
0: he saw his first move as the
1: executive of the New York Knicks was to sign Lamar Odom. Who was on crack? Odom later responded on Twitter with a picture of a letter written by his legal counsel wishing that ESPN would voice their disdain for Stephen A's vulgar and grotesque comments about Odom's past addiction problems. Odom simply wrote in the tweet itself, hashtag slander. Next up, good try, good effort to the Big Three. Though the Big Three's inaugural games were met with much praise both at the Barclays Center in New York and through television numbers on FS1, which also resulted in one of its best telecasts for a basketball game ever. The contests were shown on tape delay the night after the games were actually played. Most of the news from what happened at the games were broke through Twitter or other outlets, and it's something that hopefully can turn live in the future for that league. Also, two of the bigger names in the Big Three suffered injuries in Corey Maggette and Jason Williams, with the white chocolate now out for the rest of the league season with a knee injury. The Big Three does seem to be quite proactive in addressing any issues, however, with the latest ruling that the point total of 60 to win the game will be dropped back down to 50 to try and lessen how much time it needs to be played by the old's. Next up, good try, good effort, James Dolan. This could have gone a couple of different ways for the owner of the New York Knicks, such as him deciding to finally part ways with Phil Jackson, a man who made about $50,000. For each of the 1,200 days, he worked for the Knicks as president. But this focus will be on what James Dolan decided to do on the night of the NBA draft. Instead of attending, he decided to play a previously scheduled show with his band J.D. and the Straight Shot, something that some patrons attending the show didn't quite care for. (laughs) The lead singer's terrible. Hey, dude, I, I your, singing money, voice, your singing voice leaves a lot to yeah, desire. On, you're a bad, bad singer. Don't quit your day job. You're right? a bad singer. This is terrible. This is terrible. Yeah. I want my money back. Well, I, I want my money back. I paid good money for these. I just, a I just I want a refund. I just want a refund. That's all I want. I want it. Yeah. Who are, are you? How do I get want a job singing for a band? band. This is terrible. I want it back. I want my money back! 25 bucks! Just give me 25 bucks and
0: I have to leave. His voice is terrible. terrible. I'm serious! His voice is so He's bad! bad. Yeah. His voice is bad! He's, He's got a...
1: Next up, good try, good efforts to the secrecy of the NBA draft. In a social media age, the surprises and excitement of an announced draft pick are long gone, as most picks are usually broken on Twitter or other outlets before actually being announced by the commissioner. Such was the case at this year's draft, though fans who really wanted to be surprised could avoid all forms of social media to help their cause in hearing the picks live. However, in the second round of the draft, unless the television was on mute or you were at a bar, those watching the draft heard the spoilers from one capital J journalist in the stands. With the 51st pick in the 2017 NBA draft, the Denver Nuggets select Monte Morris from Iowa State University. The New Orleans Pelicans select Edmund Sumner, Edmund Sumner from Xavier University. <laughs> With the 54th pick in the 2017 NBA draft, the Phoenix Suns... Alec Next up, good try, good effort, John McEnroe haters. The men's tennis Hall of Famer was asked by an NPR reporter during the car wash for his new book about future Hall of Fame women's tennis player Serena Williams who he referred to in his new book as the best female player in the world. However, that wasn't quite good enough for the NPR reporter, who seemed to have a little bit of an agenda in her follow-up questions. As the back and forth goes, the NPR reporter said, we're talking about male players, but there is, of course, wonderful female players. Let's talk about Serena Williams. You say she's the best female player in the world in the book. McEnroe responds, best female player ever, no question. The NPR reporter follows with, some would qualify it. Some would say she's the best player in the world. Why qualify it? McEnroe caught a little off guard for that stupid follow-up, said, oh, uh, she's not, you mean, the best player in the world, period? Yeah, the best tennis player in the world, the NPR reporter replied. You know, why say female player? McEnroe said, well, because if she was in, if she played the men's circuit, she'd be like 700 in the world. The NPR reporter responded with, you think so? And McEnroe replied, yeah. That doesn't mean I don't think Serena is an incredible player, he went on to say. I do, but the reality of what would happen would be, I think, something that perhaps it'd be a little higher, perhaps it'd be a little lower. And on a given day, Serena could beat some players, I believe because she's so incredibly strong mentally that she could overcome some situations where players would choke because she's been in that situation so many times, so many situations at Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, et cetera. But if she had to just play the circuit, the men's circuit, that would be an entirely different story and quotes from both. Serena went on to respond on Twitter, saying, quote, Dear John, I adore and respect you. But please, please keep me out of your statements that are not factually based. I've never played anyone ranked there, nor do I have time. Respect me and my privacy as I'm trying to have a baby. Good day, sir. End quote. Humorously enough, however, Serena did address this exact issue as a guest on The Tonight Show during the David Letterman days, saying, quote, actually, it's funny because Andy Murray, who plays men's tennis, remember, he's been joking about myself and him playing a match. I'm like, Andy, seriously, are you kidding me? For me, men's tennis and women's tennis are completely almost two separate sports. If I were to play Andy Murray, I would lose 6 0, 6 0 in five to six minutes, maybe 10 minutes. No, it's true. It's a completely different sport. The men are a lot faster and they serve harder, they hit harder. It's just a different game. I love to play women's tennis. I only want to play girls because I don't want to be embarrassed. I would not do that tour. I would not do Billie Jean King any disservice. So Andy, stop it. I'm not going to let you kill me. End quote. As for McEnroe, he did not apologize for his comments, which is good because one shouldn't have to apologize for not being wrong. And lastly, good try, good effort to now former Chicago Cubs catcher Miguel Montero. Montero was the victim of going 0 for 7 and throwing out stealing base runners in Chicago's 6 1 loss on Tuesday night. But instead of taking all the blame for that, he threw the night's starting pitcher in Jake Arietta under the bus instead. Said Montero after the game, quote, that's the reason they were running left and right today because they, as in Arietta, were slow to the plate. Simple as that. It's a shame it's my fault because I didn't throw anyone out. He continued, it really sucked because the stolen bases go on me. But when you really look at it, the pitcher doesn't give me any time. So yeah, Miggy can throw anyone out, but my pitchers don't hold anyone on. End quote. Some pretty harsh comments from the World Series champion and apparently too harsh for Chicago's brass because the Cubs organization designated Montero for assignment the following morning. Anthony Rizzo also was not too pleased with the comments saying on ESPN 1000 Chicago Radio, we win as a team, we lose as a team. If you start pointing fingers, that just labels you as a selfish player. I disagree. We have another catcher, Wilson Contreras, who throws out everyone who steals and he catches for John Lester, who doesn't pick over. It's no secret going to the media with things like that. I don't think it's very professional. End quote from Rizzo. For those interested for the season, opposing base runners were 31 for 31 in steal attempts against the great Miguel Montero. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday. And also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and on the TuneIn app on Wednesdays by searching for Sports Radio America. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll get back into the drama of the NBA, dive into some more Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.